This is an ABC podcast. Have we got the um? Have we got the live band and the celebrations and the the balloons for the? No, we don't have any. Oh, but it's the final podcast of the year, and we've been through a big time together. I thought we we're going to no nothing, just me talking once again, as is tradition. Fine, that'll do. In fact, that'll do very nicely because, wow. It's the final snack pack of the year and massive and sincere thanks to everyone who's been tuning in, downloading and recommending this cheeky little podcast. Didn't think we'd make it past two weeks, to be honest. But here we are. We'll be back next year after a break. But we're not going down without a fight. And by fight, I mean quality, delicious content. If you had watched Mad Max, the Mel Gibson movie, you might have missed the sight of a pair of buttocks jiggling in the early seconds of that film. Who did they belong to and why were they there? We'll find out when Wilbur Wilde joins us later. Plus, speaking of classic movies, West Side Story has been remade by none other than Mr Jurassic Park himself, or as he prefers to be known, Steven Spielberg. Why should I care? Dr Lauren Rosewarne, political scientist, Melbourne University, will be joining us to tell it to us quick. But first, what are your holiday plans? Are you heading off? You're taking a trip, maybe a road trip through Australia. Maybe a road trip to Intercourse Island or Breakwind Reserve. Or you might stop off at Bum Bum Creek or Mossy Nipple Bend. Take a nice relaxing stroll up Mount Buggery and end up down at Soily Bottom Point while stopping to relieve yourself on Titwobble Lane. Then finishing up for a nice overnight stay at Big Dick Bore. These are just some of the towns that feature in the new book Language Warning. Shit towns of Australia. <laughs> Jeff Rissol is the co-author. Jeff, how many of these places have you actually been to? Oh, quite a few. Yeah, um, quite a few. I spent a bit of time travelling around Australia. Um, yeah, spent a bit of time on Booby Island. Um, yeah. I just have to pause our conversation so far because I detect something of an accent. Where are you right now, Jeff? Uh, I'm currently in New Zealand. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm of New Zealand <laughs> extraction, um, but I have spent a fair bit of time in Aussie. Is this entire project of yours just one giant act of retaliation? Um, no, no, not at all. Basically, we started shit towns in New Zealand, um, and that got quite popular, but also aggravated a lot of people. So we sort of had to look around and see what the next step was. So we decided <laughs> to do Aussie. So what's the background here? How did it all start? Um, really, it was just a, a joke between a couple of mates. We both travelled around a lot for work, and we go to all these sort of towns. So we'd write a bit of a review for a bit of a laugh. Um, and they end up getting shared around a few mates. And like, hey, can you chuck us on Facebook so I can tag my mate who's from wherever? And it just sort of went from there. So when you were looking for these so-called shit towns, were you after towns that actually were just terrible places to visit or were you honed in on the name of the town? Or is there always a correlation between the two? Um, well, I think every town's sort of shit in its own special way. Um, we have obviously got a sort of an eye for it now. We've been able to pick out the, the shit bits in town, but definitely having a, a shit name does help. Well, some, I mean, you know, it's its in, in the eye of the beholder because I think some of these names are fantastic. The Nipples, Tittybong, uh, Boobs Flat, Dirty Dick Creek. Do you just, when you s- discover another one on a map, do you just think you've, you've struck gold? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Some of them are, they're pretty up there. Um, I mean, Wanky Creek is pretty good. That's one of my favourites. Um, Peculiar Knob, that's another good one. Pensioner's Bush, I see, I note. Yep. Uh, how many? I don't so, know how popular that one is. <laughs> what? Uh, what? What's it like when you actually get to a place that has got a hilarious name, but then you have to get there and actually speak to the citizens, who no doubt are quite proud of their location. 
Yeah, I think sometimes you can find people in those towns aren't as uh, uh, proud of it as you might think. You'd Obviously, I would imagine anyone who lives in a, in a town, say, Funny Knob Creek, would have a lot of uh, humour about it, but some of them don't. What about Great Knob? Great Knob, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love it if I lived in Great Knob. I'd be publicising that every day. Did Pisspot Creek in Tasmania live up to its name? Yeah. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. I love a school production, and you've just reminded me that my son was offered in his first school production in prep. He got the role as a rock, and we're really proud of him for that. Then in grade three, he got the role as an ice block. <laughs> so we're even more proud, as you can imagine. Oh my and then gosh. By, you know, by grade five, he hit a lead role and got the role as Nono, the grandfather. Oh, so he progressed, he graduated from inanimate, inanimate object to actual human character. I feel, yeah, we're very proud of that. Like, never give up, I think, is the message. We know each other pretty well by now, dear listener. Uh, so you will know that I'm a big fan of musicals. Although I was pretty late to West Side Story. I think I grew up thinking it was old-fashioned. It wasn't as funky and sexy as Rent, for example. And Hand on Heart never saw the original movie, but have seen several stage productions since then. And more recently, just got to check out the brand new Steven Spielberg remake of West Side Story, the musical, the film. But why do people get so excited about it and how has it managed to survive for well over half a century. Dr. Lauren Rosewarne is a political scientist at Melbourne University, writer and a social researcher. Lauren, what has West Side Story ever done for us? Look, I guess the big factor is that that enduring story that we feel we know because it's basically Romeo and Juliet, but gets new life in 2021. And I think that says something about the Western canon of storytelling. And a story well told can continue to have a life over and over and over again. Well, I have to put my cards on the table here and say I got to see the movie, the new movie, uh, recently. In fact, two nights ago. And I loved it, Lauren, being a lover of musicals. But I was never a fan. In fact, I'm not even sure if I've seen the original. So maybe I'm part of the generation they're trying to reach with this new incarnation. Well, this is definitely the case. I mean, there's lots of research that talks about people being born after 1980, only ever seeing one film before they were born kind of thing. So <laughs> definitely there's the idea of attracting a new audience with songs that are still good, but we don't recognise anyone from the 1961 film and you're not going to fill a crowd or fill a cinema with an old film. So what you need to do is bring it into the modern era with modern stars, with you know a director that's well known and give new life to it and bring a new audience along. Which is fascinating for me because I felt like the film was quite traditional and old-fashioned in the best possible way because it wasn't trying to soup things up, it wasn't trying to modernise it, it was just what I felt was a really authentic and big-budget uh, telling of this, this classic musical. And the big budget is one of the biggest ways that you retell an old story, is bringing contemporary production values to it. Old films look old because of a number of factors, but generally it's because the amount of money that was spent on them and also the techniques and film filming and how we edit has dramatically changed. And that's really two of the big factors as to how this has been modernised. But you're right in the sense that this is old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned because musicals are old-fashioned. We're out of the hay day of musical cinema people generally aren't going you know flocking to the cinema to see musicals a star is born from a couple of years ago is actually a rare exception these haven't been showing on the big screen for a couple of decades now 
Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman's star vehicle, which I'm a mad fan of, but sort of tainted the box office. Although it's it's, it's had a, a, a more of a cult following since then, and think. And I think you're going to see the same with West Side Story. The criticism coming out of the US is largely scathing in very really. <laughs> yeah, the reviews I've read are not great, but audiences are going along and the fact that we're still in a pandemic anyone going into any cinema is saying something because people have you know there's been lots of big budget flops this year laura what's the what what are the critiques saying and is it basically people who don't like the musical are not going to like the movie like you can't win people over who don't like the source content surely yeah i think there's some of that i think there's a lot of Okay, so the big factor is we've got race relation issues. Mm -hmm. Now, the first film was criticised heavily because of its use of brown face. And what we mean by brown face is, much like black face, you're taking white actors and you're making them look like they're Puerto Rican. We've got this issue with the current film in the sense that there aren't, the stars are not Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. So that is again being criticised. You've got some sexual assault allegations against the male star of the film. So there are a couple of background issues that I think in 2021 managed to taint some of the reception of the film as well. The other issue is around authenticity and telling a Puerto Rican story through voices that aren't Puerto Rican. And those voices are the people who wrote the musical and whose story was being told. And that is almost an impossible question to answer, isn't it? Uh, It's certainly one worthy of discussion. But these days, this is one of the most popular enduring musicals of all time. But what's the end point here, Lauren? Is it allowed to be told at all? uh, Or those who are questioning the legitimacy of the original composition... Some might believe, no, it's had its time and it shouldn't be held up again, not least in a Spielberg-inspired multi-million dollar production. Yeah, with the Disney dollars behind it. Yeah, look, I think the idea of whether a story can be told, that's up to audiences. Capitalism means it's going to be told. Mm -hmm. Then audiences decide whether they think it's okay in 2021 or not. And I think in this case, clearly... It's okay in the sense you've got a lot of star power behind it. Whether or not it does well at the box office, it looks it looks like it's going okay at the moment. But again, it, you know, there's been a lot of buzz around this film because it's old in the sense that you know I think the production was finished two years ago and then the pandemic hit, so it's been a sort of slow burn to get into the cinema. Well, there is a place for us, a time and a place for us, but I'm afraid that time has come to an end. I was end going to now. try and snap my fingers, but I put <gasps> moisturiser on board. It doesn't give you the traction. <laughs> the classic old moisturiser on the digits. It really, I click, just... click. You've gone and done it, Lauren. We've all been there. I, it's embarrassing, though. This is my moment to shine, and it's just slipping. Andy, couple of beers down. Who am I talking Ooh. to? Yes, you're talking to Andy, but really, my love, you're talking to Miss Doubtfire right now. And yes, after a couple of Chardonnays, I do some reason talk like this for the whole party, and it drives everyone insane. <laughs> Have you been out of the town all night, Andy, already? No, I'm, 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 um... See, now I've woken my partner. Oh, no. <laughs> do you want me to talk to them and apologise to them for you? Put them uh, on. Hello? Hi, is that Leonie? Yes. Hey, it's Sammy J here on the radio. I'm just so sorry for waking you up. Andy was doing a Mrs. Doubtfire impression like he always does when he gets drunk at parties. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that was waking me up. And yeah. I was like, why is he drunk in a party upstairs in the morning? Yeah, well, it's because I'm a bad little boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Leonie. 
It's all right. I go back to bed. You go back to bed. Okay. Bye. 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 Mmm, yummy, yummy in my ear tummy. Now, one year ago on my breakfast radio show, I had a caller claiming, well, spreading a salacious rumour about Wilbur Wilde. You know, Wilbur. Wilbur Wilde. Saxophone player, musician, Australian legend. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. Well, they said that he was seen in the opening scene of the now iconic film Mad Max, the first one. And they said he was naked. And they said he was having intercourse. Well, I could not allow that rumour to be spread without checking in with the source. So it's time to dive deeper into Willie's Willie. Good morning, Wilbur. Was it you? <laughs> deeper into Willie's Willie. Hey, now look, what happened was, in the first sort of opening seconds of the film, like the first 50 seconds or something... Of oh, the original a, Mad Max? Uh, the first Mad Max, the one and only. Um, we... My then-girlfriend and I were friendly with uh, one of the actors in Mad Max, John Lee, who sadly passed away during lockdown, and uh, along with Hugh Keyes-Byrne, actually, who were uh, also one of the stars of Mad Max. But John said to us, he, you know, we were just like hanging out. I was like a bit of a fringe dweller at the uh, Pram Factory at the Australian Performing Group. I'd written some music for a guy named Phil Motherwell. So we just sort of hanging, right? And John said, look, we're doing this movie... And the director wants a couple of extras. And you know what it's like, Sammy J, when somebody says, yeah, you want to do something? And you sort of go, yeah, we could do that. You know, it's like getting a gig. Somebody said, do you act? You say, yeah, yeah, sure. Look, it's, it's, it's show, like, showbiz is a hustle, Wilbur. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like get the gig and worry about the details later. You know, do you, do you play guitar? Sure, how many? You know, and um, you know, my my whole uh, career is basically uh, a series of accidents. Uh, <laughs> one of which happened to be uh, showing up uh, down at um, the land that Melbourne Water used to own, probably still do, just at the back of Werribee. You know, what the year, other side. Hey, of, let's wind, what, what year are we we in right now? Uh, this would be 1978 because the original Mad Max was released in 1979. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this, I attended the 40th anniversary in March of 2019 at the Maryborough Harness Racing Club. But uh, so we rocked up, uh, Michelle and I, and um, the director, George Miller, said, oh, well, you know, what I want you to do is simulate some lovemaking in that field over there and we're going to tastefully shoot it. <laughs> I mean, this would, be the, this would be the subject of Senate inquiry these days, that sort of behaviour. <laughs> but off we went. I was wearing some Jenkin work boots and Michelle had her thongs on. And uh, you'll see it in the opening seconds. Uh, John Lee, uh, actually Steve um, is um, looking through the crosshairs of a rifle scope at the two young lovers. And John Lee, our aforementioned acting friend, is sitting in the car and then sounds a siren, gets a a call over the two-way that there's a, you know, the bikey or, you know, a Mad Maxi thing happening. And he sounds the siren. We hear the siren and run off like scared rabbits. One of those blancmange-like bottoms uh, disappearing in the distance belongs to what? (laughs) Wilbur Wilde, the question must be asked in the purpose for for the purposes of journalistic integrity. Uh, were you method actors? <laughs> for the purposes of <laughs> journalistic integrity. Um, look, it was a bit cold simulated. <laughs> but just the whole experience. We sat for the rest of the day in the stunt coordinator, Grant Page, who's a legend and who attended the reunion. Grant Page is now eighty 
free, right? And we sat in these old Mercedes and got really stoned. And um, and then I said to the director, uh, David Eakby, the cinematographer, at the reunion, I said, oh, yeah, we must have just been waiting for a runner. And he started laughing his head off uh, because he said, we didn't have the budget for runners. So, you know. <laughs> do you, and, do you and remember how many takes you had to do? Oh, look, well, I think it was over and done with. You know, we just followed direction. It was shot from a distance. Uh, we, you know, the direction was pretty, uh, as soon as you hear the siren, start running. And so we established a direction in which to run and, uh, and off we went. Um, but it was kind of cool to meet up with those guys years down the track because um, George Miller found out that I was in a band. I was playing with Jojo Zip and the Falcons in those days. And George Miller, Dr. George, attended one of our gigs because he wanted a theme song for Mad Max, right? And he came to a place called Bananas. It used to be right opposite Luna Park on the Esplanade St Kilda. And he sort of cut a swathe through the six or 700 people at the gig. And he was wearing a white fedora hat with a white linen, uh, uh, you know, outfit on. And, and he came and sort of rocked out with his, you know, he had a, you know, three or four people in tow. Uh, nothing ever happened about that. And I'll tell you why. I was working on piano one morning um, and sort of just, you know, tinkering, going, Mad Max, Mad Max, whatever it was. <laughs> Stuck in my head already. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's an earworm. And uh, your your worthy predecessor, Red Simons, came around about 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just sort of working on this theme tune, you know, it's a, for a movie. He said, what's the movie? I said, oh, I think it's called Mad Max. He said, what's the budget? And I said, I don't know. 700,000 bucks. He said, ah, that'll never do anything. Kyle, let's go and have a coffee. Ah. <laughs> and there we are, like a frigid male member on a cold Melbourne morning. It is time to tuck ourselves away and saunter in to a hot Australian summer. My friends, thanks so much for getting behind the Snack Pack podcast. I'm just the man flailing his limbs around and talking words out my mouth, but many, many producers behind the content that you listen to, which we assemble as part of my breakfast radio show in Melbourne. So I want to spend... So I want to send a special shout-out to Harriet Hashtag, Hayley Crane, Chris Hollow, Maddie Chwoster, Tyson Whelan, and the man, the myth, the legend, my audio wizard extraordinaire, pushing all the buttons, Ross Kavanagh. We hope you've enjoyed your time. Thanks again. I'm going to be on the phone to suppliers to make sure there are plenty of snack packs available for next year. But, as is tradition, it's now time for one more cheeky bit of bonus content. Oh, what? No, it's not. Oh, we want to keep people waiting for next year. Okay, so I'll really go for now. But see you back in 2022. Take care.